midlife crisis is like a perfect hero's narrative. You meet a character, you fall in love with them, they doubt themselves, they buy a Porsche, they fuck somebody half their age, and then they come out of it with a newfound love of who they were in the beginning, right? But I was 18 when I had my first existential crisis. That's a very different experience. Like, I can't afford a Porsche. They won't let me fuck somebody half my age. I mean, you wouldn't want to if they did, but it's nice to have options, you know? Anthony Gino is a hilariously real stand-up comedian and host of the Highbrow Drivel podcast. And for all you Londoners out there listening, Anthony is putting on a special encore at The Pleasance following a sold-out run at the Edinburgh Fringe. One day you're a student at a protest, and the next you're a 30-something middle manager who still doesn't know what you want to be when you grow up. The Middle Bit is a show about realising you've become an elder millennial. Check out the link in the description below for tickets. Um, so, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Michael Diamant, who is a social activist for new traditional architecture. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. So, uh, yeah, I first came across your work, um, as I mentioned, when we, we first got in touch uh, after I saw a video of you discussing um, sort of the, the ridiculousness um, of uh, attempts at like green architecture that gets rebuilt many, 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 many times. Um, and then sort of delved further into your work and started really falling in love with a lot of the concepts you were proposing about uh, classical architecture over uh, yeah modern architecture and and just uh, your Twitter account is is fantastic. So I'll be uh, as I said pulling up some of the the images and stuff from it as as we talk. But um, just to give like a framing for the conversation for people who who maybe don't know what classical architecture or modern architecture or modernist architecture is. Um, when we start by like defining these two terms um, and then we can sort of dive further into like how we arrived at this being the the overarching sort of theory of architecture and the the accepted schools of thought and and that sort of thing. Yes, of course. Uh, uh, the terms that I use, the modernist architects that were having majority of architects, they will deny that they exist. They will try to talk about styles, but it's not about styles. It's about different schools of thought. So there is broadly something called modernism, and the term modernism can have been applied to different things through history. It's also opposed to our style. But when we're talking about modernism, we're talking basically about a school of thought that rejects all previous wisdom, all previous experience, everything. Just, you know, starting from scratch, and then it has mutated gradually. But it's it's more defined what it is not. It's chaos. It's every man for him, every man or woman for himself uh, trying to reinvent the wheel and being terribly afraid to ever look back at what people have done previously. So that is modernism. That's a broad category. It's not a style, it's a category. There are infinite amount of styles within modernism. And then on the other side, you have the classical tradition. The classical traditions, and now we speak of the Western, or the European, uh, Greek or Roman classical tradition. There are other classical traditions. There's the Islamic, there's the South Asian, Hindu, there's East Asian. But in this conversation, we, we speak about uh, the Western or European, I would say Greek or Roman, European classical tradition. And it's also, it's a school of thought and a framework and an architecture philosophy, how you create a facade, 
how you create a building, what are important aspects, you know, proportions, parts, symmetries, facade division, you know, baseline. That is based more or less, you know, it has its origins in the Greek or Roman thinking, but it's not one style. It's an unlimited amount of styles. It's just a framework how you design a building. And from this framework, architects has, has during you know, the past 2,000 years, broken the rules here and there a bit, and they created new styles within this framework. But each new style is as beautiful as the previous style. It's different, but equally beautiful, because it's, it's you know, the framework, the basic framework and understanding how you create facade is the same. It's been the same for the past 2,000 years. So these two schools of thought, well, modernism obviously won after the Second World War, I would say it definitely won. But now what I'm doing and you know, hundreds of other people with me, we're fighting for the revival of the classical tradition, not a specific style. You can create new styles from this framework, you can reuse old styles, but the framework, how you create a building. So that is broadly what these things are. And it's very, very important, and I will stress this, and this is important for, for, for all the listeners, to differ between modern architecture and modernist architecture. We're not against modern architecture. A classical building built today is as modern as a modernist building. If you say that we are against modern architecture, you know, semantics, then if we're against modern architecture, then we're in favor of unmodern architecture. And that, that's, mm. <laughs> that's, you know, you're self-defeating yourself. So modernist architecture, one school of thought, and then you have the classical tradition, one school of thought. Not styles, frameworks, how to design a building. One framework is based on experience, what works, what we like. Uh, mm. I speak, of course, of the classical tradition, what we like, the proportions that our eyes find good. You, you know, you hear things like human scales, proportions, part symmetries, things that we biologically, I say this with 100% confidence, and now, you know, neuroscience has proven this. It's like objective beauty, because there, of course, there is a part that is subjective of beauty, but the majority of what we find beautiful is objective. And it's based, you know, on our natural thinking, you know, our savanna upbringing, you know, readability of our environment, that we can fast read our environment, and that we are, it's stimulating but harmonic at the same time. And the proportions, you know, you can instantly feel if something has good proportions or bad proportions. And it's in our DNA, basically. It's not that we're evolved to like buildings. It's just that the classical tradition imitates nature in its scale, and therefore we find it attractive. Modernism has broken all these rules because it had to, because it's the, you know, everything old is bad. So they try to reinvent the wheel all the time and it's one crappy building after the other. And gradually <laughs> it has, you know, morphed now, you know, in the beginning it was some kind of, of rational, you know, functional rationality, you know, like treating people like robots, you know, uh, you build a house, it's storage for people, it's not a home, it's storage for people, and then they should effectively be moved to where they work, and everything is just functional. Today, it has mutated to narcissism, pure narcissism. The most important uh, adjective of a modernist building is that it's new, and when I say new, it has never been built before. Good is, you know, not an important 
attribute of a building. The most important is that it is new. So if we bend, we use a computer and we bend it a little bit like this. Oh, it has never been done before. Therefore, it's great in the eyes of modernist architecture and you win great prizes for it. Never mind that most people, you know, regular people think it's bad or crap. You don't build for them. You build for the other people with, you know, you know the, the stereotypical look because the stereotypical look is true. You know, this, uh, you know, black glasses with big frame and uh, pullover. <laughs> it's really is, it is, it really is a look. And it's like, are you a sect or something, you know, <laughs> because because it really, really exists and it exists in every country. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they always have this special glasses and this pullover, like they are some kind of avant-garde that understand things that, you know, we peasants, we don't understand. You know, they can see beauty in ugliness and we are too shallow to understand this. <laughs> you know, they, they, they fill themselves up with so much nonsense and it's it's... Everyone knows about the, the story about the emperor's clothes, you know, uh, the emperor's new clothes, you know, the emperor is naked and, and then, you know, and it's, there is no better, you know, things to describe how the whole modernist architecture scene, the emperor's new clothes. Everyone praises things that are just both bad functionally and bad aesthetically and bad urbanized because it's new and everyone, you know, bends, bends their backs over and over to you know, when they describe, when you read, you know, architectural competitions, you see this ugly box and you see how they described it, you know, fantastic contrast between uh, the light and the brutal concrete. And it gives a sense of room. It's just nonsense. And they have been so effective in shutting down all discussion about our built environment until now. Yes, well, I'm very pleased that you're doing it. I mean, I've I've watched mm. I've watched that this sort of architecture like take over my home city to an extent, mm. and and it's it's like these these like sheer brick faced like always this horrible like at least in Belfast always this horrible like orangey slate color, but with like holes for windows, and it just it looks like a prison, and I yeah. don't I never understand how people how architects are getting paid. To design this <laughs> like it looks like someone yeah, just it, it, put a block on CAD and like took out the windows and that's it <laughs> and you have the right to believe your eyes because you are not alone an overwhelming majority of people look and think exactly the same and how do I know this well now we got you know studies they have made polls they have met neuroscience research about it and also if you check at people's Instagrams where do they go for vacation what, what pictures do they take? If you look at the tourist board for, for Belfast, I, I guess you are situated there. Uh, I'm in London, Stock- but I'm from London. Belfast. Oh, if you check for London or, or for Stockholm, an overwhelming majority of all the pictures and photos that the tourist board will post up will be of classical buildings. Oh, And yeah. it's nothing to do with that they are old because that is what people are attracted to because they find them beautiful. Mm. So it's like... Now the the most stupid thing about this this you know the post appeared is that we have to scientifically prove what everyone knows you know instinctively, um, 
because of this, you know, relativism, because the modernists have corrupted, you know, the culture in so many ways. And we can say it's the same with art. They introduced relativism in our culture. So beauty is just, you know, in the eye of the beholder. So you may think that this concrete slab is ugly, but I find it beautiful. And, and you have no proof that your taste is, is like, like what everyone else thinks. You know, it, it's just subjective. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and you are uninformed, of course, because you are not educated, so you can't understand this. And if you are educated, then you are a Nazi. So, <laughs> because Hitler also had opinions about architecture. Therefore, everyone that has opinions about architecture and don't like modernism is a Nazi. So. Yeah, I'm just pulling up a picture actually of our of our houses of parliament because I mean that this is this will be the one in in Belfast that always gets um, that will always be sort of like brought up by people. I'm just yeah. trying to get the picture up for you. Um, it's it, it's a beautiful beautiful old building, and um, it's I I actually can't where why can't I share this. Aha, here we go. Um, so here we go. So yeah, can you see this? Yeah. Yeah, it's this beautiful, beautiful, huge old building. Um, mm. And this, this is like like the poster boy, basically, for Belfast. Yeah, um, and why so? <laughs> because it's beautiful. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. And it really, really is. Um and it, it's um, not. It's not only you know the building, you know the garden. The you know, it's the same thing with city planning. Modernists have ruined city planning. We used to have classical city planning. If you look at that building, you see there is a straight line. You know the garden. You know you have this effect called sight lines. So probably in a distance from this straight line, there is a fountain. So that you always have when you stand either at the fountain or at you stand at the parliament, you look at this straight line and you see like an, a grand either building or, or, or a statue, you know, in the end of this straight line. Mm. Uh, classical uh, planning works so much with visual effects. And that's also a reason why we love, you know, the classical cities, not only because of the architecture, because the planning also is so great, in man both functionally, but also, you know, aesthetically, because it creates these visual effects uh, that makes you marvel. You know, it, it's only positive feelings, like, wow, it's not... Uh, how to say gigantism? It's not like too large. It's impressing. You feel humble, you know, when they see these things. Yeah, and uh, honestly, that's probably that. That may well be one of the things that, like, the modernists want to reject about it is mm -hmm. that it it feels like when whenever you're in a building, like whether it, like you're in in say like mm -hmm. Rome and you're walking through mm -hmm. streets that the buildings are like maybe a thousand years old, maybe older, like, like obviously they've mm -hmm. been restored and stuff. But mm -hmm. and the the that style of of construction and of building, like with the like large stone blocks, especially like it mm -hmm. feels like timeless and enduring mm -hmm. like it will mm -hmm. like it will stand there for a thousand years well like it has mm -hmm. but like it could stand mm -hmm. for another thousand and 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 like maybe maybe the reason that that the modernists reject it is because they they hope to like tear down the things that have stood for so long in in a sense um and that 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 architecture is like a symbol of that past that they're attempting to reject Yes, very much so. Uh, they, you know, uh, all you know, all over Europe and especially in North America, I would say, modernists more or less try to bulldoze everything built before them. So we have lost so countless, you know, 
amazing buildings for no other reason, you know, that they hate the past. So it's it's very much like I don't want to talk politics, but it reminds you know of of, of you know a communist dictatorship or a fascist dictatorship. You will try to clear what was there before, so that no one should understand. You know that hmm, maybe we're on the wrong track now. There should be no evidence that something has been greater before than what is now. So they have very, very aggressively pursued, you know, uh, slum regeneration, all these crazy projects that destroyed countless amazing buildings. And they would have continued hadn't, you know, popular protests, you know, people were caught off guard. Like, you know, communists previously, they promised gold, they promised you a new world, you know, of, of equality and high living standard, nothing wrong with that. I, I very much approve that and I, I, I like that. But they promised this and used this as an excuse to attack everything that was there before. Mm. And then when we realized, oh, this is crap. You know, all them, you know, at, at the beginning, of course, you are happy when you move to a new apartment. You know, I, I live in Stockholm. People were very happy in the first few years when they moved out, you know, from downtown, you know, from the central, from the beautiful historic buildings, because they were not, had not been modernized yet. So they moved to these concrete suburbs and they got heating, you know, central heating. They got, you know, uh, running water. Uh, also, we have uh, in every basement, there is like a, a laundry laundry room and all this. So, of course, they liked it. But quite quickly, you know, after just a few years, as soon as they could, they left these blocks because they were so anonymous, they were so alienating, and they became, you know, already in the 70s, they had problems, you know, renting out these apartments. So what happened in Sweden that we started tearing down these, these modernist blocks because they were, you know, they solved a short-term problem, but then they created a long-term problem instead. Uh, and we continued this, and we would have continued this, weren't for that we, we have received, uh, and this is not a, a political claim, it's just a fact. We received very high high levels of immigration in Sweden in the last 20 years. And, you know, people that come from many different countries, they are low levels of social and economic ca capital. So they have been put in these concrete suburbs. And I think the situation is more or less the same in, in all of Western Europe. Uh, and because of this, you know, the, how to say, the tearing down of all these modernist blocks has more or less stopped, which is very much a pity. Of course, it's capital destruction. But at the same time, you can't make these areas good because they are wrongly, they are not both not only ugly, but they are wrongly planned. No matter how much, you, if you, even if you would make the architecture great, how would they say the grid, the urban, suburban fabric, I would say, is bad. It will not create opportunities for small businesses. It will not be places where people want to recreate or, or you know, that, like a natural town extension or like a village extension. It, it won't mm. never be that with the current, you know, urban structure that there is in place. So at the moment, at least, we're, we're stuck with these places. Yeah. I mean, in London, I can say at least like uh, it's, there's there's a... There's there's so much like classical architecture around the city and, and the so many listed buildings. And that it's also interesting, like the this the, the modernist style of architecture that you speak of, like you can see some parts of it in London, but the all of the new 
things that I'm watching being built are not following that modernist um, wow. aesthetic. It's it's like the it's like they moved past that phase in an attempt mm-hmm. for it to feel like a more natural extension of the city itself because it mm-hmm. had so much of that to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want I wanted to go back here just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, to uh something you said so you were talking about the the classical architecture sort of like not being like a very specific like is there's not like specific rules as such as more as it's like a a framework um for for design and you you mentioned that it imitates the scale of nature i was wondering if you could like explain that a little bit more and and sort of how that works yeah so basically if you go really, really long time for Baroque, you know, there, there's this famous Roman architect, Vitruvius, um, that, you know, he, he made designs, you know, human scale. The, a human should be like the measurement of when you create a building. And you have this, you know, like a scale. So when you design, you should have this in mind all the time, you know, one, one human. Uh, so there you got regulations, you know, how far should everything you know from yeah if you go further you know in the 1500s you know how far should windows should be how should windows should be organized how high should every level of a building be there are countless you know of measurements and these measurements you know it's not exact but you know it feels right when you see it so this is the human scale aspect of it. I, I hope it sounds, it's not, you know, exactly written down, but it's the original measurement is man and, and what feels right, what instinctively feels right when you create a building. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, they have worked out, you know, facade division, how you create a facade that is appealing for our eyes. And when I say appealing for our eyes, it's very much about readability. Uh, so the facade com- combination you mean the, with the, the, the outside of the building. Yes, and outside of the building. So when you look at a classical facade in, in London or in Stockholm or in New York or in Madrid, you'll see that most buildings, especially post-1500s, they have a very, very similar, similar facade division. It doesn't matter if they built 1500 or they will build 1900. You have a baseline, you know, they have the first floor is a bit higher. And there you have also a baseline, like, yes, a clear line after the first floor. That keeps your eyes straight. When you're walking, you know, that street, that line will make you look straight and not, you know, your eyes won't go up and down. Secondly, you have a middle section. So like yeah. this? Yeah, exactly. Okay. You see the baseline. The baseline is very, very clearly here. You can see that the windows are a bit larger. Then you see the middle section and you have another line. Not every building has it, but you have another line on the upper part. The middle section, the windows are a bit smaller than the base, you know, where the, you know, floor, you have the entrance and you have, you know, uh, shop windows, etc. And then you have the upper section and it's very clear because, you know, you see that the windows are smaller. So it's very, very simple and very readable for our mind what is bottom what is mid, uh, middle section and what is top. Mm-hmm. So just by a glance, you can read this building. You, you understand this building. And when I say read, it's not that you think about it. Yeah, you see, it's 
yeah it goes again and again and again i'd never noticed uh, that this is fascinating now i'm not going to yeah. be able to stop looking at this everywhere i go yeah. now. <laughs> oh i will tell you i will tell you more things um so this is when you walk the street this baseline keeps your eye fixes straight so they won't go up and down if you have a modernist building like built in the 1960s there's no difference between the levels so your eyes you know fluctuate up up and down and this is not you know you don't think about these things it's like how to say unconscious mm. so these things happen unconscious inside you yeah you can have regent street you can click on that building and you will see yeah, you see the same again and again and again and again. Yeah. Well, it's not a great size image. But yes, I see exactly what you mean. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's built 1500, 1600, 1700, or 1900. Yeah. It follows this, you know, it, it's different styles, but they follow, you know, this basic framework yeah. that makes a building readable. When you look at this building, you don't need to think. You re can read it instantly. And this, you know, in our savanna brains, you know, when we started walking upright, it was very important, like for all animals, to quickly be able to read our environment. So this type of facade psychologically makes us calm because you can read it. And we can make it a contrast. Uh, if you Google like a modernist building, they are, especially now, when we have we have a new crazy phase of modernism, when they try to put, you know, the windows, you know, hux flux, you know, all over the facade, it makes us much harder for us to read the building and it stresses us. Again, it's not that we think that we are stressed. Everything, you know, works unconsciously. So here you can read the building, but if you walk, you know, if you come closer, your eyes will be kept on the street. And if you are from a distance, you can instantly read this building. Mm. Secondly, you have something in the classical tradition called part symmetries. So you see how the windows are organized. Uh, if we can get a front uh, of a classical building, it will be clearer. Um, trying to find the front of one that's straight on. We can take the one that you had, you know, the first one, the, the new um, this one, the new gallery. Yeah, this one, gallery. So you see that there is symmetry in the facade. But it's not like one symmetry, like every window is the same on a straight line. You see that there are part symmetries. So there are different kinds of pairs. So in that way, it's like an amazing solution. You get readability, let's say harmony for our minds, and variation in the same building. Mm. So you can instantly read you know, the building. At the same time, it tickles a little bit, you know. There's, you know, you find different pairs when you look at this one. Uh, so this is also, if you look at a 60s building, if you Google like 60s modernism, I can just simply show the contrast. Mm, high rise, uh, add the high rise, 60s modernism high rise. Okay, we can take this one, maybe. Yeah, we can take this one at large. Uh, well, first of all, you see, you see, there is no difference between the different levels. It's just one, you know, one blob. So our eyes go up and down, and there, there's no logical structure to it. Secondly, it bores our minds. Get bored by this. Yeah. Because there are no pairs. There's, you know, there's dullness and chaos at the same building. While the classical building has order 
like variation and order in the same building, here you have chaos and distress in the same building mm. because there's no clear, you know, what is bottom, what is top. Every level is the same, uh, and there's at the same time there's no variation in this building. Even though you know everything is here is symmetric in a way, it's a boring symmetric. Mm. It's a symmetric that makes you dull. You know, it dulls your mind. So this is, you know, horrible. And then if we go further, because this was post-war modernism, you know, dull. Now we have a different kind of modernism. Mm. If you Google um, a building I know very well, because it is close to where I live, uh, like a final building, just as an example, because I think many people will recognize this style. So Stockholm Intercontinental Hotel, the Stockholm what hotel? Uh, Intercontinental Hotel. Mm, let's see. This one? Ah, that was the no, nah, that was the old one. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Stockholm Hotel City. Is this it? Mm -mm -mm. Wait, I will see if I can. I'm it for you. Ah, Scandic, Stockholm Scandic, Nintendo Continental Hotel. C S C A N D E C, Scandic Intercontinental Hotel. Ah, there you have it. Perfect. And if you take one so, picture, so you, what one. you can see here. Oh, this is a render, so take, take one of the photos. What you can see here is this is a trend in, in, in recent crazy modernism, is that there's just chaos on the facade. You cannot find a pair here. There's total asymmetry in this facade. So our minds try to read this building, but they cannot because there is no pair. There is no symmetry anywhere. The windows are just exactly perfectly randomly placed over the facade so there's no order so this is not only ugly it stresses us very much and as you can see also it's lack a base midsection and top everything is the same and at the same time you can't read this building your brain will try but it cannot and this this horrible trend we see more and more in, in many new builds mm. because it's new it has not been done before so therefore it must be done according to modernist thinking. <laughs> yeah, this is like, and and what you say about about the stress is really really interesting because I don't know. There's something about, like for example, I tell you what. Let me pull up. Um, yeah, the Bank of England, which I'm not a fan of in their monetary policy, but. Um, in the, in the in the building itself, um, it like whenever you walk around this part of London, mm. which is very close to me actually, um, mm. and you get that you just there's this like a sense of like grandeur and and like it's almost very calming to 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 walk mm. around these streets and these buildings and 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 what you're saying about about like the stress of of modern that, that that's created by like this modernist thing is really starts to make sense when i think about it in this context um as to why and probably why people feel so so at peace 
in like more ancient buildings and even like cathedrals and churches and stuff because it, it, they all have this sense of 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 like scale and grandeur that yeah. that that must be illicit in that and I, I i'd never really linked that specifically to the type of architecture everything is on purpose that that was you know it's not you know by chance that we like this whole thing there was so much thought process and we can see it on on this, this photo is is perfect because we see so many classical things here mm. uh, i can go through them uh, first you have this you know the visual effect this building is central in the square mm. and it's you know you have two lines and it forms a square and you have a statue in front this building is imposant you know you get you know respect for it at the same time it's not gigantic you know the scale is still human you know it's not a tower uh, also in the traditional city uh, you have height limitations so you see all these buildings they are like maximum six or, or seven floors mm. that's you have more or less all of europe you have height limitations then you have you know london city where they remove the height limitation and you see the cows behind it's just, you know, it's both ugly, disharmonic, and it's also uh, the thing with, with building heights, it, there are many bad things. One is, of course, that it creates a bad climate because these skyscrapers bring wind from, you know, above and bring it down to the street. Yeah. Uh, they can block, uh, also they can block good winds, you know, if, if I've... Um, uh, yes, I have, I have relatives. <laughs> yeah, I have relatives in Israel uh, and Tel Aviv. They, you know, it was planned by by a, by a British city planner, you know, during the British mandate, and it was such a fantastic plan because you know there was no air conditioning at that time. Uh, search for Giddens plan Tel Aviv. Your screen is a bit unsharp also. I don't know if it... If um, this is probably because of the way I have to share it in order ah, okay. for it to um, look. Mm -hmm. So if you just took, take that picture further to the left, what, what Giddens did is he made, you see these lines, he made a lot of lines and boulevards from the sea. Okay, they are not, this is like a first... Uh, specific you know what, what he did if you look on the further later pla plans if you take like a later because this was a first sketch of this one maybe uh, do, do, do. Uh, take tel aviv city map and it will be more we like this yeah, one take that one yeah so what he did he built a lot of that's not very clean he made the grid so that a lot of streets end up in the sea. And there were, you know, big boulevards, big lines, big streets, towers the sea, so that, the, you know, because it gets very, very hot in the summer, so that the ocean breeze could, you know, flow, flee, flow freely through the entire city to mm. cool it down. And what did modernist Israeli planners do in the 60s? They built high rises in front of all these, you know, these openings that Giddens had created. Ah, there you see, you there, see, yeah. you see, yeah, but you see how you know the lines that Giddens created. Mm -hmm. But now, very many of these are blocked by towers that modernist architect built in the 1960s. So all this cooling effect that Giddens created 
have been lost. And the city is much, much hotter now due yeah. to this, you know, modernist planning because they react everything, you know, ancient wisdom. Okay. Uh, but back to the previous re- building about, you know, so uh, I just wanted to have a look. So yeah, these these are I guess this is these are the sorts yeah. of high rises that you mean along the along the seafront. Yeah. So they yeah? block now now they block all you know the boulevards that used to end in the open sea yeah. are now blocked. So this effectively yeah. shuts down the ocean breeze that Giddens planned to enter the city. So sorry, where were we? Where were we looking at? And that? I guess you know I haven't studied it specifically, but if we look at any you know kind of New Delhi or, or any you know British colonial city, you would find similar you know adaptions, you know natural adaptions to heat, you know using well very very you know ecological thinking in a way, you know they use natural cooling. Mm. But if we go back to this building, so you have height limitations, you have sight lines, you have a visual imposant building in the center here. Everything is ordered, yet it's varied at the same time. It's not only, you know, the facade division of the building, but it's also, you know, the use of ornament, of course. Uh, ornament is important in many ways, not only because it's beautiful, uh, it's also cultural expression of who we are. Yeah. And a reminder, because modernist thinking dominates so many aspects of our culture that we believe that we are some kind of superior humans to people that lived a hundred years before us i would say that it's the opposite they didn't have computers they didn't have anything and they created this you know marvelous wonders that we still cannot copy that that is you know amazing so ornament and old buildings remind us that there were people before us and we are part of a chain there will be people after us also. In 100 years, you you and me will be dead and there will be people after us. So instead of thinking like a, a progress line that we are somehow more advanced people before us, instead we are part of a chain. Technology, you know, our technology has, has improved over the last 100 years, but we are the same humans as after 100 years. We're the same humans, you know, the last 50,000 years, I think we, we are exactly the same humans. If you read... Um, uh, I don't know his English name, Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, same, same yeah. name. Yeah, same name. Yeah, it's uh, still. And you read just, his thinking; yeah. it's the same thing. You know, you could relate to everything that he writes. If you read the Bible, you know the stories, you know the drama and the, the intrigue in the Bible. Yes. Yeah, cur- currently, currently yeah. reading. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. So, so, you, so you have you find you know the same human drama, the same emotions, you know. There's love, there is fear, there's death. They are not different from us. They are exactly the same humans. But they created amazing art and architecture that we still cannot copy today. Despite that we are a million times richer, we have so much more resources. You know, if you, if, if you could check the amount of resources that they have today compared to 100 years ago, <laughs> what is that? a factor by a million or something, you know? The Victorians had what they did. They have to build dynamite and you know working with hand and steam engines. Yeah. Today we, we have you know computer added engineering controlled explosions, robotics, uh, different types of machinery, like they could even never imagine. And still, despite that, we cannot build anything that would impress them or impress <laughs> ourselves. By the way, <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I mean, people, people like I, you talk. If you think about like the most striking piece of construction in the entire world, people will pick the pyramids almost mm. every single time, and that's mm. like 
possibly it depends depends who you believe the oldest like structures that we like yeah. the oldest like and grandest structures that we we can see or like some of the mm. oldest at least anyway yeah. maybe save for like gobekli tepe um mm. So you keep saying this, that like we, we, we have all of these resources and all, all of this like technology and computing power and intelligence and access to information. And yet. Uh, mo Sorry, one more thing. Yes. There has never, ever been so much talent on Earth, but it's all wasted. Think mm. of it. How many people have access to higher education globally 100 years ago? So today we are like eight times more people. I think we are eight billion today and we were one billion a hundred years ago. Yeah. And of these eight billions, at least 60% have access to a good, if you include, you know, China and India now, at least 60% of the world's population have access to higher education. Yeah. And that's, and that's can only realize, the ones that can have realize, access can, to university. Like then there's yeah. all of the, like there's more information on the internet than our, our ancestors a hundred years ago could have ever, like you could get a PhD level university education with an internet mm. connection. Yeah. In every all the topic science you can in... imagine. Yeah. Mm. I, I think I read, you know, the uh, the British author Eric Hobsbawm, I think is his name. Uh, he wrote, you know, about the science in the 19th century. It was around 10,000 people that, you know, <laughs> created all the marvelous science of the 19th century. Mm. How many scientists have done? I think only in the UK there should be. 10 times that figure at yeah, least probably yeah so we have never in the history of the world we had so much talent and it's all wasted so it's it's such a tragedy at the same time so like with all of these things then and um, you say that we we can't build something that would impress them like is it actually that we can't like physically are not capable or is there like some glass ceiling preventing us from you know reascending to the the heights of classical architecture no there is no we can be exactly the same we can create new classical style equally marvelous like the old we can you know pick up the gantlet wherever we want if we want to continue from art nouveau or from art deco that's you know a choice we can imitate previous styles so we can create new styles we can create everything and there's enough talent in this world what is needed is you know because the modernist has a total grip on architecture schools in every country there is there is starting you know, cracks in the wall now so now you can actually study diploma classical architecture at least one in university uh, at notre dame in the u.s and i think cambridge now started a program where you can study you know at least uh, courses in classical architecture and and you have a, a very alive classical architecture scene in the uk quite conservative when i say conservative it's not a bad word but it's not innovative it's very much focused you know on on creating beautiful new buildings but but you know in in already established 19th century styles mm -hmm. and this can create a misunderstanding because it's not like we want an eternal 19th century we want the framework and from that framework you create you know new styles mm -hmm. uh, but they have total control back, back to the question they have total control of the architectural establishment and they have poisoned the culture with relativism uh, relativism and uh, hindered very effectively until recently, until the rise of social media, uh, 
they have also been able to suppress all critique. Relativism has been very damaged in two ways. One way is that many people have accepted it, despite that they don't believe it. They know what they think is beautiful and ugly. They accept that, oh, it's just my perspective, and they don't put it in a, in a grander sheet. So in that way, we have been conditioned to accept ugliness. That is one thing. Mm. Uh, the second is that if you're a construction company, and this is not a critique of construction companies, they've always been greedy. They were very, very greedy 100 years ago. I promise you that, you know, during Victorian era, I don't think they were no bleed hearts, you know. No. <laughs> How much can we squeeze out of these poor workers? Um, they were very, they were always greedy. And that's not a bad thing. They don't have an ideology. They are profit maximizing, like all companies. They can build a beautiful lavish building like they did 100 years ago, mm. or they can build a concrete box. They don't care. They care only about profit, and they can make profit out of every building, beautiful or ugly. They don't care. Mm. What they do care about is, of course, profit maximizing. And building classical is not especially more expensive than building modernist. It's not building modernist in general. But of course, if you just make an ugly square box with no detailing, no, no anything, everything standard as models that you just click together, of course it will be cheaper. And then the construction companies got the perfect present from architects. I mean, beauty is just in the high of the boulder. So you <laughs> may think that this gray box is ugly, but I think it's beautiful. It's just a subjective. Hmm. And then they can get shielded from all critics. Then, of course, you have the third party. Then, you know, you think that the public or, or especially our elected politicians should step in. And the damage modernism has done there is even greater. Mm. Because until recently, I, okay, I speak of, of Sweden and, and maybe Germany and, and probably UK now more and more. Uh, if you had an opinion as a politician about architecture, especially if you wanted classical and didn't like all the ugly boxes that modernists put up, then you were a Nazi. Because Hitler had an opinion about architecture, then you have suspicion Nazi leanings. It's just so absurd. Yeah. But people bought it. And one reason that they bought it is because the cultural journalists in most newspapers almost more or less the same people as the modernist architects. They believe themselves to be some kind of avant-garde that understand things better than, you know, than everyone else. So what you got is if one politician said, oh, but this is horrible, this is ugly, why don't we be beautiful classical? Then every paper, every culture section would say that this politician has dangerous Nazi leanings. And no one want to, and this may sound too extreme, mm. But I invite everyone to try to discuss with a modernist architect and say that you want classical architecture. In five seconds, you will be called a fascist or a Nazi. Or at least this is dangerous to like beauty because then you have Nazi leanings. This is not a joke. This is 100% serious. It will happen to everyone that opens the mouth about this. So this has shut the mouth of politicians. And they just, you know... Oh, but he's an educated architect. He must know best. Well, what do I know? You know, okay, I may think this building is ugly, but I don't want to risk my political career for 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 a building, basically. Yeah. 
So this worked That's, as long as there were only like newspapers. Of course, someone dared to speak out, but then, you know, it ended up in the culture section as there was a little exchange. Nothing happened. Uh, the models were always able to suppress. Mm-hmm. But with social media, now suddenly you can do effective advocacy and it doesn't need to go away. They mm-hmm. cannot suppress it. They cannot hide it. Yeah. And they are forced to debate. This is very important because all these, you know, techniques that they use, they will call you a Nazi, they will call you a fascist, etc. It's just because they want to kill the debate before it starts. Because as soon as the debate starts, they will lose. If you have a rational argument about them, it will just fall like a house of cards. So this is that's why they always try to kill the debate. Mm. I am lucky and I will be very open to, to all your listeners about this. I have victim card points. And I hate to say it. I hate to say it, but I recommend everyone that does argument with architecture to have victim card points. <laughs> you see, my, my mother is, is Jewish. Uh, all her relatives died in the Holocaust. She was born in a refugee camp in Soviet Uzbekistan in Bukhara in 1944. So she is really, you know, that that you know, the first years of her life were not that fancy. You could you could really say, mm. so it's hard to call me a Nazi with that in mind. So they start calling me a Nazi. Then I tell this, and then they oh oh, and then we start to have a serious debate. And as soon as we have a serious debate, you know, arguments, they lose in five seconds. <laughs> so find your victim cards. I'm I hate to say it, but find your victim cards. Something you can find, you know, your if your grandfather, well, your UK, your grandfather fought the Nazis, maybe, uh, or your grandmother, you know, was a signalist or, or radar operator. Use all this because you're gonna need it before you can enter a serious debate with the modernist. You need to have this shield so that they cannot kill the debate by calling you a Nazi. Yeah, it's crazy uh, that we're at that point. Do you know what's funny? Like on the on the complete other side of that, like the thing that springs to my mind when when we when we when we talk about about city planning, for example, right? Uh, and you talk about uh, like actually like thinking about this on a large scale. The the thing that I can hear people th- saying isn't uh, isn't actually that at all. It's I can hear like the complete op- other side of the coin in them saying, "Oh, well, that's just you know central planning from the state. That's communism." Um, and like, but you know, we have to just let the free market take hold and do, you know, that that will figure out the best way to make the city. And that's also idiotic. It's, I think, it's uh, American influence mm. because, strange to say it, you know, because America is, you know, is is the land of free thinking and diversity, or at least used to be. Um, you have this very binary thinking. I think it's come from their political parties because they only have two political parties. So it's either raw capitalism, free market, or state controlled. There's no, you know, central mind. Uh, of course, you should be pragmatic. You know, you should, should check what works best. So how was the, you know, the lovely cities of of Europe? I, I can speak most. I've been to the UK. I've visited London. I've visited Bristol and Oxford. But I'm more familiar with, you know, Central Europe. So what built? These magnificent cities, you know, like Prague, Vienna, mm. München, yeah. Paris. Yeah, Munich is beautiful. Uh, Innsbruck, I'm a big fan of. I lived there. I lived yeah. just outside of Innsbruck for five five mm. winters. Yeah. Um. So what built these cities was good regulations, and then after that, you let the market free. Mm. 
So when I speak of good regulations, the city created the magnificent grid, you know, using classical planning with sight lines, boulevards, hierarchy of streets. The city also played where should public buildings be and religious buildings. The city imposed height regulations. So except for public buildings and religious buildings, all buildings should be like maximum six stories or, or whatever you know height they, they said. But usually it's maximum six or seven stories, never higher. And that is also a good. I, I you know I stray all the time because there's so many good things with the classical. Because we had need, of course, we in modern days we need research for everything that everyone knew. But if you live higher than seven stories, you lose all connection with the street. You know, people get alienated. Children go out less if they live in high rises. Mm. So if you live closer, you know, maximum seven stories, you have a meaningful relationship with the street. You can see what's going on. Uh, I don't know. You have a kind of different traditional planning in the UK. You have very much row houses. We have like uh, court courthouse, courtyard houses, you know, a, a courtyard and buildings are around them, yeah. also continental Europe. Mm -hmm. So you can look in the courtyard. You can see oh, the children are playing or something. And in green, if you live on the 40th floor, you cannot see anything, you know, what's happening on the ground. Um, so oh, back back to the subject, I, I stray because there are so many, nothing is by chance in the classical city, why it's so great. Uh, so you have height restrictions, you have the grid in place, you have the public buildings in place, and you create plots and you divide the plots. And it's not one developer that, you know, build all the buildings. Each plot is an individual building. And that individual building is not free for all. It must follow height regulations and it follows the classical tradition. Okay, that wasn't an option. You know, there was nothing else than the classical tradition, you know, when they thought. But you see, even if you have different buildings, they are in harmony with each other. They are different, you know, if you look at a, a street in, in London or Paris, or maybe not Paris because it's a more uniform city, uh, let's say Stockholm or London or, or Belfast, there may be buildings from different ages on a single street, but still they form a whole, you know, they for, for a, a harmonic whole. Can you see that? That's just that's from your Twitter. The, uh, just yeah. I, I wanted to pull this up for an example for people of of the um, of the type of architecture you mean. Like this is this is very prevalent um, in, in continental Europe. Yeah, in in Innsbruck, yeah. I used to live in a, in a building like this actually. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and I, I'm a very I'm a very much courtyard urbanism. Uh, if you want to explore that subject, I can explain why. Um, yeah, that'd but, be but great. It, um, is there what's what's the best thing for me to uh, look at? Yeah, you can look at that building, and I can explain, you know, why yeah. why I'm a yeah, let's courtyard just urbanist. One, please. Yeah. So first of all, you have grid making. Uh, there's a very different urban planning uh, tradition in the UK. You know, okay, you have cities like London and you know central course, you have grids, but otherwise you have like endless row house. How I understand? Yeah, terrace. But you're yeah. terrace houses. Uh, in continental Europe, you have uh, grids, you know, more classical grids, and you have these courtyard buildings. The courtyard building is an amazing invention because what you get, especially now with these in modern times where you repurpose the courtyards, and now with new buildings, this is a new block that was built, you, you modernize the courtyard a bit. Uh, 
so what you have here outside is the bustling city you know with noise and and uh, people walking around and and you know parties cars whatever mm-hmm. but inside is totally soundproof so what you get is that every mm-hmm. building block get this private green silent island so outside is the city and inside you have your calm private greenery it's not dangerous to throw up let your children if you if you check um, if you go the further down i think um, you should be able to see ah photos of this this building ah no, that's another one but if you go back to that one Uh, I, sorry, I can't show on street level, but I can explain at least. Yeah. So what you have here is a large green courtyard. Yeah. There you can have your kids. There you can have barbecue. There you can have everything. And you will not notice that there's a 4 million metropo- metropole yeah. on the outside. Yeah. That's how you bring families back to the city. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, this is also very important. Now, where do you have your balconies? One thing that I hate with modernist buildings is all the balconies on the facade because they are never used. Because in traditional setting, a majority of balconies are towards the courtyard. Why? Because it's private and silent. No one sits, or very few people at least, sit on balconies facing the street. They don't do this because it's noisy. So when you sit on your balcony, you know, in the morning sun and drink your coffee, you don't want all the noise from the city. Also, it's not private. It's not that people are unpolite, but if you sit on your balcony on the front facade, of course, people will get curious, you know, passerbys and stare at you. And it feels kind of irritating that you read your coffee and people stare at you. Mm. If you sit on your balcony at the courtyard, it will only be people, even if you don't know your neighbors perfectly, they will know that you... They will both be less curious and they will respect your privacy because you have some kind of, you know, how to say, relationship. Mm. So in that sense, you can sit in your pyjamas towards the courtyard. It's quiet, it's green, and it's private. Mm. So you get privacy. You can choose when you are private. You can choose when you're public. You've got a silent green island where you can put... Of course, you should take your kids to park and outdoors, but if they just want to play outside, you know, if they're small, you know, with um, sand or such, then they can can go to this courtyard. And because the height is maximum, this height is six stories, you can look from your your courtyard balcony and look down and see that everything's all right. And then you can shout at them when there's dinner. So, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, you also probably wouldn't want it too tall or you wouldn't get as much sun in there. No, you wouldn't. Mm. And yeah, I was you just thinking get... the air quality as well on your balcony would be much better if you're facing inwards than facing out. You're not getting yeah, the direct true. emissions from the from the cars or buses or whatnot as well. Yeah. Even with electric cars, you will get, you know, the, the tires rip up. Uh... Yeah. Uh, particles yeah Mo- so like even huge if- amounts of air pollution is actually that is the rubber from yeah. the tires i didn't know this till recently that blew my mind uh- mm. so so that's why if i you know it can be a fanatic when it comes to city planning you know it, it's continental european quarter urbanism but also where you update the court because courts they were built originally they created courts courtyards uh, to get in sun and light into the apartments they still do that, 
function very well. Mm. But the, the court itself, uh, you, you did laundry and you had toilet there. We don't need to do laundry and, and, and you know, you don't have your, your uh, uh, toilet in, in the courtyard, you know. Uh, so now you can have like a private green island there. So that's like a, an upgrade, you know, an evolution of the classical tradition. Uh, it's so, yeah. yeah, and this is the way to bring families, you know, because all cities want to bring families back to the city center. We don't just want, you know, people with no kids or singles in their twenties. We want, you know, all demographics to be able to live in the city because it makes a much better city. It makes a more interesting city. It gets a more lively city, not a city with people that are forties, in their fifties, in their sixties, in their thirties. Not only, you know, young singles that want to party and then they move to the suburbs. <laughs> so if you offer, you know, some of the conveniences that exist in the suburb, you know, silence, some privacy, mm. some private greenery, and of course, you know, modern spacious apartments. Yeah. yeah. I think many will, will choose the city center because, you know, the city center, especially now, you know, when when the air quality is getting better in in most cities yeah yeah why not you know it's not like the 70s you know my, my father used to tell that you could take in the stockholm you know because of the traffic you could taste lead in your mouth you know because of the gasoline had had lead in it we don't do that anymore luckily and you know there's much more less traffic and there's more bicycling so the city has gotten healthier to live in so why not you know if you can move then you can have two kids three kids even four kids you know and live live a good life in the city center. You don't need to live in a villa in the suburbs. Yeah. yeah Even if not, I'm not against people living in a villa in the <laughs> suburbs, it's just that there should be an equal good option. You should not force people to move to the suburbs. They should be able to live in the city center if they want that, if they find that these things are, are good for them. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you've, you've really blown my mind tonight. Um, um, I yeah. say things that most people, you know, it's not that you didn't know these. Mm. You felt these things. Night night perceiver people I talk with, they have always felt this, but they haven't been able to put words on these things. Mm. Because that's also, you know, I, I studied sociology very much at the university. So I, I learned all the, you know, the, the tactics that you can use here. It's, you know, it's control of the vocabulary. Mm. There's a me. On purpose, there is a lack of terms to describe everything. And the modernists will try to make as, so much smokescreen as they can. They will talk about styles. They will not talk about, you know, the overall architecture philosophies. Because it's just, because always the, this relativist thinking, mm. oh, some like this style is another, like that style. It's, not, it's nothing, you know, it's, it's not, you know, something big or grand. It's just, you know, a, a preference or something. So mm. they will try every time to, you know, make smoke screens make you talk about they will not say modernist i will say modernist and i encourage everyone to say modernist they will talk about modern architecture as i mentioned in the beginning of, of this talk uh, because they want you to fall in the semantic trap mm. oh <laughs> i like modern architecture and you like unmodern how do you say it in english unmodern architecture um, so it's very much you know, about taking back the discourse of the talk and the terminology and if there's a lack of terminology then i'm glad to help you know to give you the words you need to describe what you feel because you have felt it all humans feel it but we have 
been diluted so we cannot con you know express it in a meaningful way the first time i you know started thinking about this i was about 19 i was partying with some friends in a, in the baltic sea there's a baltic sea island called gotland uh, with a very very beautiful medieval city called visby and i just walked around and it was so amazingly beautiful and like why don't they build old new houses? You know, it sounds very stupid yeah. today. No, I mean, but, I've but, had the exact lacked, same I, thought. Yeah, like, <laughs> because I lacked, you know, I lacked terminology, vocabulary mm. to express, you know, what I felt and like all, all people felt. Um, and that's a way of controlling our thinking, you know, because we cannot form, we haven't been able to formulate critique of what we don't like. We can just feel it, but we cannot formulate yeah. what we don't like. Like the only, the so, only word I had previously basically describe mm -hmm. th that style of architecture was like soulless because that's mm -hmm. how it felt to me um mm -hmm. and and I've, i'd never been able to quite like put my finger on like walking around even even in belfast like there's some really beautiful mm -hmm. old buildings down in in belfast mm -hmm. um but then then you had just have the the sub the terraced houses for for miles and miles and miles mm -hmm. um or these new like square prison block mm -hmm skyscrapers and 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 i i'd never been able to quite like articulate why that that seems so much worse than walking around like cities like innsbruck or munich like mm. like you said and that, that were always just like yeah just enchantingly beautiful um mm. and and like part of me was thinking is it because they just rebuilt them all after the war um as they had previously been but it seems like it's like that they were all they were Yes, okay, they were rebuilt after the war, but because they were following this classical style of architecture that that had been been around for so long, um, I've taken oh yeah, I've taken a lot of your time here already. Um, do you have like a few a few more minutes just to to I wanted to ask um just about mm -hmm. the the clip I'd seen initially of your of yourself was mm -hmm. was talking about why um sort of classical architecture was was more sustainable mm -hmm. and and like better for the environment than than say buildings with trees on the sides. Um, and I thought that was brilliant. Uh, so, do do you have like five minutes to explain that that concept? Oh yeah, no, no, no problem. I can explain it for twenty minutes. So it's, it's your, <laughs> your till, until your ears drop. Uh, I will use nicer words than what I use in private. But it's is modernist architects. Their stupidity knows no bounds. And I'm very, you know, after talking with them for eight years, they're not very clever people. They're not intelligent people, and they cannot argue why they do like they do. So. They are focused on materials, and it, it's just, this is so illogical. Do we preserve buildings because they had good materials? Are the buildings standing today that we love because they had good quality materials? They believe that a sustainable building is one that is built in, you know, eco-friendly materials. But a building, as I said in that very short clip, very short, a building is ecological when we want to preserve it. And we don't want to preserve ugly buildings. And I can give you a very, very good example. We, I know we do it in Sweden. I know we do it in many other countries. I, I, you must do it in the UK. I, I bet you do it in the UK. We reuse old factory buildings from the 19th century. Mm. And they do become, you know, luxury residential buildings, you know, for creative types to do art and all these things. Couldn't, Anyone imagine that we would reuse a 1960s factory and repurpose it for housing? Not a chance. It would be torn down, you know, as soon as it's not used as a factory anymore. So 
by building classical and beautiful with cultural expression, we want to preserve a building. That is ecological. The longer the lifespan of a building, the more eco-friendly it is. Because the, you know, the biggest contribution to CO2, of course, there is heating. But you know, if you have an old building, you can modernize it. Uh, you know, so it, it comes up to you know the modern standards of heating and, and such. But usually, they are good made in materials. You know, so they have natural. You know, na- they cool down in the summer and they they get warm in the winter. But anyway, because they are beautiful. They get longer lifespan because every generation will try when the original function is no longer valid, when it's not a factor anymore. Oh, but it's such a beautiful thing. It was such a pity to tear it down. So let's make housing of it. And when it's not housing anymore, let's make offices of it. Let's make a cinema of it. Mm. There will always be, you know, if you you have an old uh, London building, that's 500 years. How many purposes have it had during its lifetime? And why was it repurposed so many times? Mm-hmm. Because people loved it. So if you build buildings and you focus on the wrong things, if you focus on materials instead of aesthetic and cultural expression, I, I must really stress this because it's not only it's not beauty like neuroscientific beauty. It's also beauty in the form of cultural expressions. You know, you are in the UK. You combine, you know what was in the past with what you believe is will become in the future and you create like a frozen time frame you know with cultural expressions you know ornaments uh, statues uh, so that you this building has value beyond mere function mm-hmm. and people will preserve it and that's the key to build ecological and because all this architects are 99% there are many classical architects but they are still a fringe you know compared to the to the sum uh, total amount of architects they are modernists so they are focused on materials and think if we only build with the right materials and put some grass on the roof then it will be a green building but it won't because if it's ugly as soon as the original purpose is lost it will be torn down and then you will build a new Something like I can this. say this, you know, <laughs> yeah, like that. That's just craziness. Yeah. That will last for thirty years, yeah. Please. And this is this is also this this just shows how little these people know. I would never <laughs> ever want to live in in such a tower. Not only because it's a tower, because how many insects will be at your balcony? Can you eat? <laughs> do you think seriously that someone can eat a dinner at that balcony without getting? Three trillion bugs, mosquitoes, beetles, yeah. pestering you. Yeah, of course, you can solve that with uh, pesticides, but then it won't be a green building. So, yeah, yeah that's half the problem with the. <laughs> yeah, that's what like so, half the protests are against is the pesticides that we use. <laughs> yeah, so so it's mm. they never never think. You know, there's always you always have to think. You know, if you should do something new. There's something called unintended consequences. Mm. And this looks great on renders. Yeah. But very, very quickly, people realize that this is a bug paradise. I'm not scared of bugs, but I know that my, my, uh, my girlfriend is very scared of bugs. And I know that the kids are scared of bugs. <laughs> so so why, why would you want to live in a bug paradise? Yeah. Because they will build nests there also. 
you will get birds' nests. And it can be cozy from a distance, but you don't want a bird's nest, you know, above your balcony and have, you know, bird poo all over your balcony. It's, yeah. So anyway, if you build a beautiful building, it will be reused. For every generation, we'll use it. Today, old factory buildings are reused. Mm. Old working class districts in Stockholm, in Berlin, in Munich, in Paris are hyper gentrified today. They have become luxury areas. Mm. Can you imagine you know, that the dwellings built for the working class 100 years ago are so beautiful and good that today no worker, not even middle class, can afford to live there. But the people that do live there, and this is also very interesting, in our former working class district in, in Stockholm, and it's probably the same in all the other, other countries, a majority, you know, a third of all Swedish architects live in this traditional working class district. <laughs> and equally many, oh. equally many of our journalists. So I think it was, uh, it was a, an Englishman that said it. I think his name is Alexander Studdard. I think he's like a, a, I don't know if he's an architect. I think he's a sculptor. Because he also s- saw this, because it's the same, you know, in the UK, that clearly modernism is something you do to others. Because all these architects and culture journalists, they live in these traditional neighborhoods, in traditional buildings, but in their offices, they create buildings and urbanity that they don't themselves want to live in. And that's, you know, the, the clearest evidence that something is very, very, very wrong. <laughs> well, Michael, it's... I, I finally say, I want yeah. for, for all the viewers Check this out, you know, don't take me for, for word. Now look at buildings, you know, these facade divisions that I talked about, and check out all the, you know, historic factory buildings, warehouses, uh, mills, and see how they are all repurposed today as luxury buildings. And remember that they were utility buildings. Yeah. Oh, you have a very, very prominent, as late as the 30s, you know, they built great. What's it called? The, there's, you have a large Art Deco power station in the UK. What's it called? Um, not reading power station, but you have a, if you check for Art Deco power plant UK. Art and it Deco has been power plant. UK. I was about to just be a little bit proud of my city. Um, I'll show you in a second. What happened? I'm so I'm very passionate about this subject, so I, I can no, just talk. Don't uh, worry about until it at end all. of time. So. It's I love people with with passion about things. Mm-hmm. So let me pull this up. I this. hope people believe that this is a good cause. So I think I I would be stunned if they didn't put it that way. Let me pull this up for you. Yeah, there you have it. There you have it. Which one? Ba- ba- Battersea. Oh, Battersea. Yeah, that my yeah. my. Uh, <laughs> My flatmate yeah. wants to live there. Yeah. So this is a power plant. Like, you know, the nuclear reactor of the day. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's so beautiful, especially interiors. Exteriors are, can be a bit dull. But if you check the, you know, the old the old control room and, ah, oh, yeah, you see, you see the glass ceiling there in the center. Oh, yeah. Here? Oh, there. Yes, there. Uh, oh, to the left. Um, this one? No, not that one. If you go to the, there, there. Where you have the mouse. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even think that was, I thought that was a picture of something else. Oh. Wow. That is absolutely fucking beautiful. 
Yeah. So a power plant from the 1930s is so beautiful that what is it today? Now it's probably luxury housing and you have offices and you have uh, luxury retail. Can anyone imagine a coal plant or a nuclear plant built post-war being repurposed? No. No. So beauty is the ultimate, beauty and cultural expression is the ultimate sustainability. And if you don't build beautiful, buildings will not last. We tear down how many buildings in the city that you live or that anyone lives in from the 80s have you start tearing down now? All the office blocks from the 80s, they are tearing them down now. Is that sustainable? No. no, it's not. No, 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 no. And why do they tear them down? Because they are broken somehow? No. Yeah. Because they have no value beyond mere function. So when they're not needed as an office anymore, then you tear them down and you build a new function. Yeah. You don't reuse. Yeah. I just wanted to show you this one thing. Where are we? We'll go back just a second. To, yeah, this building in mm-hmm. Belfast, this, um, this was burnt out. There's a pre-mark in here. <laughs> Mm. Um, but it burnt. It got. It, there was a fire inside. And it burnt down entirely. Oh, there's the picture. You can't really see it. Here we are. Yeah. It burnt down the entire thing, and they re- rebuilt the entire thing mm. again as it was. I was so proud of them. I was mm. so pleased with my city because they decided not to get rid of such a beautiful building. They they wanted yeah. to keep it, and yeah. and it was really really beautiful that that they did because they were in this. They they got into this phase of um. There was a there was like a a building like thing designed or a building project mm. planned in Belfast for this beautiful part of the city um, mm. called the Cathedral Quarter. Mm. And they wanted to knock down half of it and replace it with this mm. massive new like shopping center that was mm. just, it looked awful. And it was going to tear down all these old buildings that looked just, mm. yeah, as you've described, this classical style of architecture. And they were going to rename the entire district to Tribeca triangle mm-hmm. beside the cathedral like just taking the name straight from new york mm-hmm. and like losing the entire soul of like one of the most beautiful and popular parts of the mm-hmm. city in order mm-hmm. to create some new fucking trash and it's been like on hold for years and years and years because people keep mm-hmm. pushing back against it um because mm-hmm. they love that part of the city so mm-hmm. yeah we can yeah. win <laughs> we can win, but that, that's that's a, there are so many subjects to cover here, but that, that's a very important thing that you said, because yes, we stop 99 idiotic projects. Here where I live in Stockholm, we, we stop 99 idiotic projects, but if they just keep coming, one gets through. So this is also important why we need to be new traditional architecture, because we cannot only be on defensive and slowly lose our built environment we must build new beauty as well we must go on the offensive our city should become more beautiful for every year not less beautiful and we can only do that if we go to offensive preserving old buildings yes but equally important adding new beauty because if there's only modernism one idiotic project will go through every year there will be one new crazy building that expresses our time, blah, 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 and is climate eco-friendly, sustainable, but it's not. Just, you know, the worst of wordsmiths have been working on the description. 
Well, um, anyway, Michael, it has been an absolute pleasure again to chat to you. I, I, yeah, you, you've changed the entire way I'm going to look at every city I think I ever visit. So for that, thank you very much. Um, and I hope everyone has enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, so I'll put your, your website and your Twitter, uh, in the description below for people, uh, that can find it and, and explore more of your work and, and follow you on Twitter where, where you're always posting about examples of, of this and example, yeah. like positive examples as well, where, where people are, are yeah, creating new yeah. classical architecture from yeah. yeah these old buildings. So, yeah. Uh, there's also the Facebook group. It all began on Facebook, you know, a few years ago. So uh, the Facebook group we must also add, because at the Facebook group, Facebook allows you know longer text, so you have a little more explanatory text. You have all the photos. Also important, all the old posts are stored in albums in the Facebook group, so you can check the country that interests you. If it's UK in your case, or, or any country, Netherlands, Belgium, Latin America. You can check all the posts so you can quickly find, you know, old, you know, different projects, you know, sorted of the country. Mm. Uh, there's also uh, an atlas of new traditional architecture that I created. You can find it on the blog page. It's a Google Maps layer. Uh, it's a collaboration with, with me. I, I'm the main contributor, but there are many other contributors as well, uh, where we added projects. So whenever you travel, you can... You know, if you're interested, you can find new traditional buildings and just check them out and, and feel them, you know, if they feel right, if they if the architect made something right. Oh, wow. Hang on. Let me just show people this. That's mm. incredible. It's a never-ending project, you know. It, it's so many projects to add, but at least I think there should be quite many, especially in London. Yeah. There's... London and Paris region and Berlin gonna pull one up the closest one to my house canary wharf isle of dogs aha there are some are pretty. not completed yet so then there are just renders yeah but many that are completed there is you know there is photos there's link to the architect oh wow i'm gonna have a fun evening playing around with this yeah. this is gonna be amazing and when you travel to a new place you can check if they have new traditional architecture as well this is a way you know for to create cooperation uh because Unfortunately, there, English is a lingua franca, but surprisingly, very, very many people don't speak it. So every country is more or less like a language bubble. So by helping people, by doing all the research about the, you know from different countries, you know it, it makes it easier. If you are a classical architect or a student of classical architecture or just interested, you can discover what is happening in, in uh, Austria or Italy or Spain mm. or Peru or uh, Philippines. And you can instantly find architects working there, projects done there, and you can send an email. Hello, yeah. how are you? And, and yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of them in Holland, Belgium. Yeah, they're uh, classified after quality. So uh, red indicates like basic quality; it's the lowest level. Then you have blue, is good, very good quality, and then you have dark blue. That's excellent quality 
Is there any dark blue in Northern Ireland? No, sadly not. <laughs> you have some in the UK. You have some yeah, North there's blue. there's yeah. a few there's a few in in yeah in the south of England, a couple up in Scotland near Edinburgh. But sadly, Ireland doesn't have any any dark blue. But you, you have you have a, a very good classical architect uh, in Ireland. I think his name is Connor Lynch. Okay, well, I can send you him uh, the link to him, and you can, if you want, you can come in contact with him. And he's, you know, he's an educated classical architect, so he can show you around. Because I think, you know, I think he had commissions, and I think there are at least some new, very, very well done uh, country houses hmm. you know, on Ireland. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there are. There's, there's some people with plenty of money uh, popping mm. around in the Republic of Ireland. Um, but anyway, uh, Michael, unfortunately, I have to run. Um, as yeah. I have to go and get dinner. Um, with some friends so um yeah i'll put links for everything in the description below and and thank you so much for your time thank you very much for having me and and i really hope that yeah spread the evangelium you have the right to your opinions your instincts are right there is objective beauty and there is objective ugliness and everyone that tries to shut you down honestly fuck them (laughs) (laughs) well i love that i I love that attitude to to life so Mm. that that will that will definitely resonate with me but yeah thanks very much thank you hey everyone thanks for making it right the way to the end of the podcast i love that you tuned in this long do me a favor hit subscribe because 80 percent of you bastards are not subscribing but you're watching my videos see you next time